This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Kuchas, when he's on his game and playing like he did tonight, and you know, obviously like a big goal last game too, it's it's about confidence. A lot of people forget that Kuch he hasn't played a lot of hockey in the past couple of years. He's coming back from some pretty significant surgeries and. It, you know, the body can feel good in, in stretches and not so good in other stretches. And it's just, it's something that takes time. And you could tell when, when he has the puck and he's taking those first three steps and creating space and sucking guys in and making plays, that's that's when he's at his best. And um, you could tell physically he's, he's feeling a lot better. And, you know, confidence-wise, um, you know, when the puck's on his stick, it's, it's usually a very good thing for us. Usually is, and that means Nikita Kucherov and his teammates might have found their game a, a little bit more than what we've seen in previous games uh, midway through that second period. Maybe we'll get into why that was the case, but the Lightning get a nice win over the Jets on Saturday. They put up seven. Kuch gets four points. Hedman had four points, and Brian Elliott picked up the win. We have a lot to get to today a lot of reaction from that game if you want to hit us up on twitter you can at bolts radio i am greg Linelli, along with the radio voice of the lightning dave michigan steve ersnick is our producer one hour of hockey talk with you today hope everybody had a great easter if you celebrate easter that is and had a relaxing time with friends and family and uh took it all in and um a couple more weeks here before the regular season ends the lightning six points behind toronto for second in the Atlantic Division. And, partner, let me bring you in. And uh, it's starting to get down to the nitty-gritty, but I, I saw a lot of people react, both fans and maybe broadcasters and writers, that it was encouraging to see the way the Lightning responded about midway through the second period. And I think we can make the case after Corey Perry's scrum that the Lightning responded in a way that made you think, oh, boy, that looked like the Lightning of old and really had a dominant game, particularly the third period after that, and really took off, which was fun to see. But an, a nice win by them, and we'll get into it for the next hour. Yeah, it was interesting, the the quote that Steve played from Stamkos, because he's right that Kucherov has missed a lot of time the last two years. And it's almost easy to forget that because he was so dominant in the playoffs last year. It didn't seem in the playoffs last year that he was affected at all by missing 56 regular season games. Agreed? Agreed. So I guess we expected this year he would just come back after missing basically half a season, got hurt in the third game and came back in early January, that he would look like he did in the playoffs last year. And it's been a little uneven for him. But he had a really good game against Winnipeg. And you've often said, Greg, that Kucherov can fall out of bed and get a couple of points, and, and his point totals this year have been quite good. I mean, he's well over a point per game. But the way that he commands the ice, we haven't seen it as much. But he definitely was commanding the ice against the Jets and got rewarded with the four points. And, and just to be clear, there have been games where he has done it. I just don't think that we've seen it as consistently as we become accustomed to it. We can get into the specifics of, of the game on Saturday, but that struck me hearing that quote from Stammer that sometimes we don't acknowledge maybe that Kucherov is human and because he does things that are different from many players in the league. He, he is able to do things that even among NHL players who are the best of the very best, he's in a class by himself. And so when we say, yeah, he's missed a lot of time and, yeah. and maybe he's he's going to take a little time to kind of get back in the swing of things, we're almost not giving him the benefit of the doubt in that regard. And we should. But it was good to see that he had this sort of game that he had on Saturday. You know, we've often talked about this with Kucherov when he's on. It feels like the game slows down for him and he really does control the pace of the game because the puck's on a skit or his, his stick, and he's able to, whether it's a pass, whether it's a shot, he just feels like he's in control. And I think it is a good point by Stamkos because it probably speaks to how great Kucherov has been as a player over the last few years is that even when he was off for an extended period of time, somehow he, he found a way to still be a points-per-game guy in the most intense time of the year. But it feels like 
in that game at least, it felt like Kucherov, the game slowed down a bit, and he really did control the pace of the game. And I think because of that, you saw Winnipeg really have no answers. Now, Winnipeg's a team, Dave, as we know. I mean, they're they're on life support. They're not going to make the playoffs. But it's still a team that can make you uncomfortable at times in the offensive zone. I think defensively is where they've had some issues. And I think the Lightning were able to take advantage of that. But uh, Nick Paul is another guy that has continued to put himself in a position partner where if he keeps playing like this, and maybe the decision has already been made, maybe there's been enough body of work since he's become a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning that would suggest he is a guy that, at least for this season, is comfortable playing in the role he was playing in the last couple of games, which would be with skilled guys. Because as Phil has said often with Paul, one thing that has stood out to him has been his ability to shoot the puck. And maybe just a willingness to shoot when he gets an opportunity in the open slot to put the puck on net. I think we saw that in the second period. But, you know, we've talked so much about what are the line combinations going to look like. And maybe that's always going to be a fluid situation. I do think in a perfect world, John Cooper would like to get those lines settled sooner rather than later. And I'm not sure many of us thought when Nick Paul was acquired that he was going to be the guy that was going to be given a long look in that top six. But, Dave, all he's done has opened up eyes and produced. And I think he's a nice fit on that first line, at least right now, with the skill set he brings to complement Cooch and Point. Yeah, I heard the last call. Eric Erlinson was sitting in for Jay Retcher, and he was doing it with Brian Engblom. They were talking about with every game that Paul has had that has looked impressive, like how much has the next contract gone up potentially. And look... Julian was very upfront and said when they acquired Nick Paul that they'd love to to try and extend him, but they're going to let him get used to the Lightning and the Lightning get used to him and 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 not really get into that at this point. And that process, I'm guessing, is still going on. But boy, he has been a revelation. I don't think that that's overstating it. What did Coop call him? He's a gem. That one. Yeah, and I think the Lightning didn't know exactly. Everything that they were getting, they knew enough to acquire him, for sure. And they knew that he would help their team. But he has shown layers to his game, I think, that certainly I didn't know, not having seen him regularly over these last few years in Ottawa. And the Lightning didn't see Ottawa at all last year because they were in different divisions. And prior to that, he was kind of a tweener up and down between the NHL and AHL. So... He seems to have found his game in terms of his career trajectory. What is he, 27? Took him a little bit longer. I guess he, he did some work with a sports psychologist, if I'm saying it right. It, it, was, it was somebody who helped him in terms of, I know he does meditation. I've read some stories about that, but it was somebody he saw actually in, in South Florida, but not the Panther side, our side, like a sterile area. And really helped his game. And so he had to kind of grow into the player that he has become. But boy, the Lightning are getting him at the right time in terms of his career trajectory. And I mean, I don't think I'm I'm going out of bounds here to say I'd love to see the Lightning bring this guy back. I'm not sure how they can do it, what the contract is going to look like. Nick Paul has earned the right to, to shop the market if he wants. But, I mean, how could the Lightning not be thrilled with what he's given them to this point? You know, let's face it, too. I think there is something to be said. And I'm not saying this is exactly the case with Nick Paul. He could be a guy, Dave, that is taking that next step in his development as a player. And I think sometimes playing with not only elite players, but let's just face it. You're going from Ottawa to Tampa Bay. The mindset shifts. Now you know you're going to be playing in some important games. I think sometimes that brings out the best in all of us, even if it's for a short period of time. I think the thing the Lightning will look at is, uh, are the metrics, and this is where analytics maybe come in, telling us that this isn't a fluke, that Nick Paul could be somebody that plays in this similar role for an extended period of time. Also, too, how much is the contract benefiting him right now? Because we've seen guys who are on either one-year deals or their current contract is about to mm -hmm. expire. They want a big pay raise. And Nick Paul, this could be an opportunity for him to get a lot of money. We have seen guys with similar credentials like Paul 
who go into free agency, Dave, and they get a contract that some of us look at and say, wow, I wasn't anticipating that. Look at Anton Strawman. I think that's a pretty good example. Yeah. A guy who had done a lot, but you know, a team like Florida overpays to bring a guy like that in. Paul, obviously, a different position, different credentials, different skill set. But I think if if a team has some cap space and they look at Paul right now, the way he's going about his business. And basically, I mean, I look at him as a guy that can play in a lot of different situations right now for the Lightning. But I think for me, it's the size and the skill set and that combination is very intriguing as an ascending player. What is that going to get you in the open market? Let's hope it's with the Tampa Bay Lightning. But I got to be honest with you, when they acquired him, Dave, I thought it was just the rental. And maybe that's still going to be the case because Hagel was the guy that had the term and there was a lot of made about what the Lightning had to give up to get him because he had term. And let's face it, he had the credentials as a 20-goal scorer that could probably move up and down that lineup and play in a top six role if called upon, particularly if you lose some guys in the offseason that filled that role. But now it's really interesting to see how this has played out. I think both players have done well since brought over at the trade deadline, but I'm not sure many could argue, at least initially, I think Paul has made a bigger impact and a bigger splash, and I'm not sure that was necessarily the case when the Lightning acquired both those players. Yeah, and, and I do want to get back to, to what happened on the ice and, and the game certainly on Saturday, and we're going to touch on some other topics as well related to on-ice play, and I know we have some questions you told me about that, yeah, that we came do. in we do. on social media, but I will just leave with this, and we can dive into this more when we get into the offseason. The, the salary cap is basically flat. I mean, we heard it may go up a million dollars. So if you are a pending UFA and you are due a raise, I think what you have to weigh is – are you going to go to a team that's willing to pay you but understanding that in all likelihood that team is not one of the top teams because the top teams are already close to the cap? Yeah. And with the cap not going up, if you want to go to a top team, you're probably going to have to take a little bit less. And I'm speaking in generalities here, and we'd have to go through team by team, but like just – off the top of my head, like, we know the Panthers are in a cap crunch. Barkov and Rahegi are getting raises next year. They're going to have to shed some salary. We know the Lightning are in that boat. We know the Leafs are tight against the cap. The Bruins have to figure out what's going on with Bergeron. But how can they not bring back Patrice Bergeron, right? I mean, like, they, they don't have a lot of wriggle room either. These are just teams in the East. You've talked about Pittsburgh with some of the important decisions they have to make. And look, maybe a team like the Penguins that that doesn't have a lot of room says goodbye to a bunch of players, and maybe they can pay a UFA, maybe what that UFA could get from a team that, that is less competitive. But you know what I'm saying? Like It'll be interesting to see how the, the picture gets painted here for these UFAs. John Ollers even said when he joined us last week that you know the Ducks have – have acquired a lot of of draft picks, but because teams are tight against the cap, the Ducks may be able to parlay some of those picks into getting NHL-ready players that other teams simply can't afford to keep because of the cap situation. So what does that mean for the Nick Pauls of the world? We're going to find out, right? And not just him, any UFA. It's a good question. That's it. That that's an ascending player to use your term. We're not talking about a guy who's you know thirty six whose contract is up and maybe wants to stay in the league and and is willing to take the same money. We're talking about a guy who, like a Goodrow or a Coleman. They were deserving of their raises last year. Yep. They found teams that were willing to pay them and they landed on a team, both of them, that ascended this year. Perfect scenario for them. But I'm not sure how many teams are going to be like that this summer. It's a it's a very fair point, and that's exactly who I was thinking when I was talking about Paul. And let, let's get to the game. Was was Goodrow and Coleman in those contracts? Because yeah. I think those are very comparable guys. And again, the market's going to dictate what those guys get, and the salary cap certainly, uh, basically being where it is, whether it goes up a million or not, it is is going to be tough to hand out big contracts. But somebody will overpay, 
And that's usually right. what happens in free agency. Partner, yeah, we, I know, get... we know Arizona has lots of cap space, as an example. No doubt. No doubt. Does a UFA want to go to Arizona and get paid? It's that's a very, question. It's a very good question. I will not turn down millions of dollars. And uh, right. if somebody's willing to make you an offer, then you know I think you have to you have to look at it and 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 take it. I want to get to the game because I I know we're going to get to some of the finer points, but I just want to make a general observation: the game against Winnipeg. And I Brian Engblom joined me for a segment on the post game before it was the last call, and I had said to him, partner, before we we had our segment. I said, boy, that was a, a pretty physical game. It stood out being pretty physical. And maybe people can disagree with, with my, my line of thought. It just the eye test felt like there were more scrums. Guys were a, a little more ordinary. And it was one of those situations where I think it benefited Tampa Bay. And, and Brian not only agreed partner, but he felt like the scrum fight, whatever you want to call it, between Perry and Sanford that happened around the eight-minute mark of the second period was a bit of a turning point because he felt like the lightning really fed off of yeah. that scrum. And, you know, we see the Nick Paul goal, and we just saw guys maybe be engaged a bit more. And you mentioned Kucherov in the game he had. I don't know if that's a coincidence or if you can, can look at that and say, you know what, I, I kind of agree with it. But it felt like... As the stakes got a little higher intensity-wise, the Lightning's play raised. And I'm not sure if you, you buy that or, or how you would look at it, but I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts on not only that particular segment of the game, but the game in general. Yeah, so that was a key stretch from the point that Winnipeg went up 4-2, to two, and then they had some juice. I mean, they were playing as well as they had been playing up until that point. They scored four goals in the first 30 minutes of the game and then you had the scrum with with Perry and Sanford and then you had the Paul goal I would probably lump the two of them together because the goal that Paul scored you could feel almost like a a shift at that point now Brian felt that the shift occurred when the Lightning got engaged physically with Perry. I'm not going to argue with that. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that helped them have the strong shift that led to the Paul goal. But Paul started that play getting in on the defenseman. I got my game sheet here. It was the right defenseman for Winnipeg, DeMello. DeMello went back to go get the puck, and Paul immediately got in on him and pressured him. DeMello was able to slip it to Wheeler on the right side of the ice for Winnipeg, and then Wheeler tried to spin it around the far boards and didn't get much on it. That's when Kucherov picked it off and made that that backhanded one-time pass to Paul, who wired it in. So the Lightning made a play. I mean, we talk about this often, Greg. Are you going to make a play? Who's going to make a play? Paul and Kucherov teamed up to make a play, and it wasn't just Paul finishing with the shot, it was his ability to pressure DeMello to kind of disrupt what was supposed to be a controlled breakout for the Jets. And I thought the Lightning, at that point, took over the game. Now, you want to say that it started with with Perry and Sanford, whatever it was, a couple of minutes before that? Fair enough. All I can say is that once Paul scored, the Lightning would go on to score, including that goal, five unanswered goals, and they held the Jets to five total shots the rest of the game. So in the final six minutes and change of the second through the third, the Jets had five shots. Four of them came in the third, and they were all innocent. The fifth one, though, which is the one shot they had after Paul's goal, still in the second period, was Brian Elliott's best save of the night. And that was during a four-on-four when Ehlers had a puck ricochet to him. It wasn't a pass. It hit It hit something and kind of went in a direction that nobody was expecting it to go to. Ehlers was like, Christmas present, thank you very much. One-timer into the net, and Elliott got over and made the save. And that kept it 4-3. And then shortly thereafter, Kucherov and Hedman teamed up on the give-and-go goal to make it 4-4. And, and you could just tell at that point the Jets, all the fight was taken out of them. And they didn't, they didn't have much pushback after that, particularly when Stamco scored early in the third and the Lightning were up, and now the Jets are trailing for the first time all night. 
So however you want to term it, that was a huge swing from the Perry Sanford incident to the Paul goal to make it 4-3 to the Elliott save on Ehlers to keep it 4-3 to Kucherov's tying goal. And really that happened in like about a three-minute span or so. All that occurred, three to four minutes. Paul scored just shy of the 14-minute mark. Kucherov scored at 18 minutes. So let's say five minutes. Five-minute span of the game completely changed the the trajectory of this game. Now, the first 30 minutes, that was not a good first 30 minutes for the Lightning defensively. I know they didn't give up a lot of shots. I believe the stat line was the Jets scored their four goals on their first 11 shots. Now, they didn't have a lot of shots in the game, of course. They only finished with 18. And as I mentioned, five of those came after the Lightning had gotten back to within four to three. But what I was looking at was the amount of room the Jets had when they had the puck to make plays. And they had time to make plays. They just didn't have a lot of possession. But when they got the puck, they gave the Lightning problems. And right at the top of the list was their line of Stastny, Connor, and Ehlers that scored in the opening shift of the game. And kind of up until the Lightning took over the game, they were giving the Lightning problems just about every time they had the – they were on the ice and had the puck. That was a big problem for the Lightning defending those three guys. And you look at the end of the night, Stastny had a goal, Connor had a goal, and they created other chances as well. So what did the Lightning do better in the final 30 minutes? Belmar talked about this post-game. He said, we closed on their guys early. When they had the puck in our end, we were able to take it away. So they weren't able to just skate around in our zone and and try and make plays. And that was true. They did that. So the Jets didn't have a ton of possession in the first half of the game, but when they had the puck, they created problems for the Lightning because they had some isolated but some longer shifts in the offensive zone. That went away in the final 30 minutes, and how the Lightning were defending had a lot to do with that. Now you want to factor in, the, the reality that the Jets were playing the second half of back-to-back, maybe they ran out of gas, both physically and emotionally. Because you're up 4-2, you blow the lead, your legs start to feel heavier, and the other team is pressing on you. So, I mean, the Lightning had something to do with that, but the Jets look like a completely different team in the second half of the game than the one that the Lightning saw in the first half of the game. So, my takeaway, Greg, was... I liked how the Lightning rebounded in the final 30 minutes. They did defend a lot better, and they held the Jets to zero goals. And also, my other takeaway was that this is the second game now in the homestand. The Lightning have found a way to battle back from a deficit, which is a positive sign, resiliency. And they were not only battling back from one deficit on Saturday, it was three deficits, one nothing, 2-1, to one, and then 4-2. to two. So all of that was really positive. Afterward, a lot of the Lightning players were saying how we played in the third period is the way we want to play. And I think that led into your comment at the start of the show where you said, are the Lightning back or, you know, is, is, this, is this how the Lightning are going to be playing moving forward? The other team has a vote here, and Winnipeg didn't have much pushback at that point of the game. The next opponent, Detroit, tomorrow, might have more pushback. But yes, in terms of how the Lightning want to look when they're on the ice – having most of the possession, defending well, closing off plays quickly in their own end so they have enough energy to go on the offense, that is definitely the way the Lightning want to play every every night. Can't do it every night. Can't do it for every minute of every game, but that's their template. You mean you can't do it for a 60-minute no, game? No, you can't. Now, I will say this. I think in the playoffs, there's a better chance of them sustaining a high level of play for an extended period of time because I mean you basically can empty the tank every game because you know this is it and so I'm more inclined to look at that 60 minute nonsense that gets thrown around and say all right I think you can get a little bit closer come playoff time because I think the sense Mm -hmm. of urgency and paying attention to detail rises too and I think that is fair I just I thought it was interesting that once the level of intensity picked up and we can define when exactly that happened, but let's say let's just say for the sake of the show, it it happened during that scrum that Perry had, and then the Lightning respond with a goal. That the Lightning's play collectively 
was very impressive, and it was too much for Winnipeg. And I think, is it reasonable to anticipate the Lightning having that type of effort to close out the regular season against some of the opponents they're going to play? Partner, in reality, I would suggest that might be a little more difficult to do in Detroit, against Detroit because of where they are in the standings than it would be against Toronto, the team they're playing the following game. I'm not telling you that's the right thing to say. I'm not telling you that that's what's going to play out. I think it's human nature. And that's why I think come playoff time, it's what I've always said, is that I'm willing to give that team a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because what we saw in the second half of the Winnipeg game, I think is going to be something we're going to see resemble the Tampa Bay Lightning once the playoffs begin on a more consistent basis. I don't know what we're going to see tomorrow against Detroit. I don't know what we're going to see against the Maple Leafs, but I'm more inclined to believe what we saw against the Jets is what we're going to see against the Maple Leafs than we are against the Red Wings. But I don't know that. That's just an opinion, and we'll wait to see how that plays out. But I think if you're a Lightning fan, which many people are listening to the show, unless you're Barry Trotz and you're listening to this (laughs) and you're not, I am very encouraged by what I saw in that Winnipeg game from the second half on because I think that might be the intensity level a little bit closer to playoff hockey than what we saw the first 30 minutes. And you saw Kucherov's play really take off. You know, the deflection in the third period was a thing of beauty. Nick Paul continues to do some things. Hedman was outstanding, dishing out four assists. I I just, I feel like we can maybe make some assumptions and say, you know what? The Lightning were really physically engaged. I think their players, their star players, especially turn it up another level. Don't know why that was, but I think some of it was just the way the game was unfolding that would give me more confidence if I was somebody who was questioning their effort or their play over the last month or so. I kind of look at that segment and say, all right, you know what? I think that's the lightning we're going to see in the playoffs. It's more of an opinion than it is factual, but I, I kind of I kind of like the direction they went, but I also am, am very comfortable saying I don't know how the rest of the regular season is going to play out mm-hmm. because I think some of that is going to be opponents and where some of these teams are in the standings. Yeah, I agree that the intensity level in the playoffs is going to be high. I think the difference between what we saw last night in the third period, or Saturday night, I should say, in the third period, and potentially in a playoff series, is that the Jets didn't put up much of a fight in the third period. And like I said, some of it was based on circumstances, some of it was based on how like they had played the night before and traveled and and gotten blown out the night before too. Some of it was based on how this game unfolded and that they had a big lead, were seemingly in control, and then were trailing, and, and they just couldn't find the pushback. But they also recognized that they were going to miss the playoffs. And I think that we have to be honest and say that whoever the Lightning see in the playoffs, that team probably will have an intensity level at the same height that the lightning are at so both teams are going to be playing with high intensity and that's what we expect to see in the playoffs and that's why playoff hockey at the nhl level is tremendous and and really entertaining and some of the best hockey you're going to see you know your comment about the full 60 your your point that if we're going to see it we're more likely to see it in the playoffs It is hard to play a full 60 in terms of dominating the other team from minute one to minute 60. But I do think that in the last two playoff years, what the Lightning have shown, and I think it's been especially true in their closeout wins, their attention to detail defensively and their ability to limit shots and scoring chances has been as close to a full 60 as you're going to see. You know, it doesn't mean they've spent the entire game playing with the puck in the other team's end and and looking the way they did in the third period on Saturday. But that's about as high a mark as you can probably get, particularly given the stakes, in these last five closeout wins, which have all been Andre Vasilevsky shutouts, but way more routine 
frankly, for him than in some of these other games where maybe he has given up a goal or two or even had a shutout as well. Yeah. But, I mean, just look at look at those games. Winning the Cup against Dallas, closing out Florida, closing out Carolina, closing out the Islanders, closing out Montreal. In those five games, the Lightning might have given up total the same number of scoring chances that they've given up in one game this year that was not a good game. I don't know which game you want to pick, but they've had games this year where I can make the argument in that one game where they were really leaky defensively, they gave up as many scoring chances as they did in those five closeout games combined. That's how good they were in those closeout wins. So I don't know if we're going to term that a full 60, but in that part of the game, how they are defending, how they are closing off the other team's chances, they've been really, really good. And that's probably what we're going to need to see in the playoffs this year. It might not be possible because, I mean, I know we want to get to some fan questions, Greg, but we were talking before the show that the NHL's morning skate report came out. Offenses are not slowing down. This was the highest scoring weekend in NHL history. In the history of the NHL. This was the highest scoring weekend and and the average goals scored per game is as high as it's been since the 1995-96 season. When, by the way, we looked it up, Mario Lemieux led the league with 161 points. I think it was 161. So what are we going to see in the playoffs? Will a team be able to limit chances that much? I think think you've been right when you've said just the playoffs in general – scoring goes down just because the nature of the the intensity but something dave that is not going away is the goaltending and there are questions about goaltending i don't think when the stakes are raised particularly guys who are unproven i could be wrong that those numbers offensively are going to go down you see a lot of goaltenders, that first taste of postseason, it is rocky. And again, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. My sense is we're going to see some higher scoring games than we typically do in the playoffs. And I think there are a few reasons for that. In fact, I think we're starting to get some answers as to why that's the case. You did some research before we came on. There's been a notion, and I think this is for people who just maybe haven't thought about it as closely as, I I don't want to say as we have, but I I think we've, because we do a talk show partner, I I think in many ways we were forced to come up with some Mm -hmm. different angles as to maybe why, not just, well, I think power plays are up. Yeah. We've also asked a number of people who have come on with us, which we can do because we have a talk show. But you kind of did a little bit of, and I'll, I'll let you explain it, but I mean, you did a little bit of a deep dive, and, and you said, look, power plays, it, it really hasn't been the case that there have been more power plays this year than in previous years. It's kind of been on par with what we've seen. I am going to maintain this. I think, honestly, what we have seen, we can say there's been a a nice infusion of young talent coming into the league, and maybe that is the case. I partner there's maybe no way of knowing that until five years pass and we kind of look back at this year and say you know what this was the beginning of uh, this player really taking off in Montreal this was when this player really took off for the National Predators yeah I mean maybe uh, but that's going to take a little bit of time I am going to maintain for me I do think the stopping and starting of the league not only this year but over the last couple has gotten teams out of their structure a bit I think for a league and for players who thrive in routine it has been anything but routine in the National Hockey League over the last couple of years and I think it's been tougher to implement what coaches want to do with their system when you're constantly stopping and starting and eight players are out because of COVID these players are out because of COVID we're not starting the season because we took a break a couple of months to get COVID under control I think that all has an effect on how the game has been played and I think we are seeing more 
more offense in part because of that. And I don't know if the playoffs are going to slow that down. And I think we're going to see scoring, maybe not to the extent we're seeing it right now, but then you factor in the goaltending dilemma many teams are facing. I don't think those numbers come down. I think we're going to see a pretty high-scoring playoff. That could be very entertaining. And the one team that doesn't have questions necessarily about the goaltending and really what we've seen the last couple of years because defensively they've just raised a notch, the Tampa Bay Lightning might be in a better position than some who have been critical of them think. And I'm just going to leave it at that, but I think you're right. Those numbers I looked at this morning, that stood out. Offense, they are not slowing down. There are some reasons for it. But let's make no mistake. There aren't 16 Patrick Waz walking through that door in the postseason. Those stakes are going to be raised. And with that partner, the pressure can mount even more at the most important position. Now, some guys may not fold. But where's your money going to be when the playoffs begin? Andre Vasilevsky and the Tampa Bay Lightning? Or is it going to be Jack Campbell and the Toronto Maple Leafs? Freddie Anderson and Carolina. He got hurt the other night. Did you see that? He did. He did. Casey DeSmith and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, okay. I know where where I'm going to be watching and and looking at this objectively and saying, I don't know. If I'm John Cooper, I I know things have been up and down this year. But boy, oh boy, uh, is there another team that has less questions at the most important position than the Tampa Bay Lightning partner? And the answer to that would be no. Well, you're right. I did I did peruse the stats because I'm thinking of writing a column about the offenses because we've been talking about it on the show, and we haven't really gotten an answer. And we've talked to a lot of people who know a lot about the sport, and nobody really seems to have a definitive take on why goal scoring is up. Now, you make an interesting point about the stopping and the starting. What I would contend on the other side of the argument, and and you may be right, Greg, but the questions I would pose back to you would be, we had a lot of stopping and starting the last two seasons, and we had COVID issues last year where, where players did have to sit out, but we didn't see the offenses explode until this year. And while you were right that teams were dealing with weird lineup configurations, at points this year, like we haven't really seen that in the last, what do we want to say, two months? And scoring hasn't slowed down. So I guess you make your point, and I understand where you're going with it, and you may be right, but I just don't know that I can look at the, the information that we have and say, like, yeah, that's it. But, but what I did think... notice, sorry, go ahead. I mean, no, I don't no, know I was if got, you not, have any thoughts no, no, about I, that. No, I think I, I'm glad you counted that because that that is certainly a, a rational point that you bring up. I think that's more logical, though, than a lot of the answers we've been hearing from the experts saying, well, I think power plays are up. Because yeah. that really hasn't been the case at all. Opportunities are not up. Correct. That would, that would kind of give you some information. Well, they're calling more penalties. And so with more power play opportunities, teams are scoring more power play goals and at a higher percentage, and that accounts for the increase. And while it is true that power play percentages are up, although they're not as as far up as they were at the start of the year, which is what you usually see. Remember when the Oilers were at whatever they were at, you know, like 50% after three weeks and – up in the you know high 30s after the first six weeks, like they've come back to earth. And, and usually you see that. I think if you look year to year, the power play percentage, which of course is a percentage, how many goals have you scored in the power play and how many opportunities have you had? And do the math and figure out your average, your percentage. The percentages are up, but they're not up like to the to the degree that we would say the goal total has skyrocketed it's because of power plays and and perhaps the the most telling part is 
opportunities, which I had to go back to the 1819 season because opportunities, you want to look at apples to apples. I guess I could have done an average, but you know, last year we had 56 games. The year before we had anywhere from what, 68 to 71, 72 games. I wanted to see a year where it was a full year and we're not quite there yet. Most teams have about six to seven games left, but we're close. And what I saw was, you know, going back to the 18-19 season, 17-18 season, 16-17 season, like power play opportunities are fairly comparable. Interestingly, Colorado seems to lead the league every year in power play opportunities. So they draw a lot of penalties and get a lot of power play chances. That's interesting how certain teams tend to be among the leaders in power play chances and other teams tend to be near the bottom in power play chances. But in terms of like, league-wide are we seeing more penalties called leading to power plays I would say the answer is no are we seeing more power play goals scored with those comparable same number of opportunities the answer is yes but it's not so much more so what is it well it's more even strength goals why I don't know you're right like younger players coming into the league are having an impact Lucas Raymond in Detroit is having a really good season. So is Mo Sider, mostly with assists. Troy Terry, I think he had two goals last night. He's up to 36 goals on the year. 35, 36 goals. I mean, he Dave, had like you were... six last year. So, okay, about... that's one example. But right. here's the thing. Austin Matthews has been in the league. He's got 58 goals. Well, and this is where this is where I'm asking. I, I, find, this, I find this fascinating because, I, to me, this is a little bit of a, a – no, not a little. This is a big deal. I mean, people want to see scoring. And if the NHL is starting to shift to being a more offensively driven league, mm-hmm. this is exciting for fans. I, the more we talk about this, I, I can't help put two and two together and think, is there some sort of correlation here? I think the league is getting more talented with the younger players coming in. But what do you always hear about the younger players today, Dave? Not only do they train, but kids, even 10 years ago, who are now 25, 26, they all had skill coaches. Yeah. Are we starting to see the skill master the system? And with that, are we starting to see the goaltending just not hold up as well as it has in the previous years? I mean, we have talked to a number of people, and I've always asked them this question, is that, why are they going 1A, 1B all the time in the playoffs? It seems like a lot of teams have that. Lightning don't. They end up being the exception partner rather than the rule. And some of the responses we've gotten from a lot of these people have been, well, Greg, there aren't 32 number one goaltenders anymore. And Dave, maybe we can cut that number into half when you really look at the number one goaltenders in today's game. Maybe we're starting to see more skill overcome the defensive structures that have been so relied upon over the last 10 to 12 years. But maybe with that, with that, we're also seeing at the most important position, the goaltending come down to earth a little bit. So we're seeing guys who are more elite in their skill set being able to not only beat the system they're going against that particular night, but also with those skills, they're able to, to pick their corners. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're also just to do more things dynamic, and maybe we have seen goaltending come down to earth a bit. And maybe that's what it is. I yeah. don't know. Maybe well, that's and, what you it know, is. I mentioned Austin Matthews, 58 goals. You know, Austin Matthews was a great goal scorer when he came to the league, but now he is, can we call him a veteran? I don't can know you, if we call him yeah. a veteran, but like he's he knows the league, right? So maybe he's elevating as he is becoming a regular superstar. By regular, I mean like year in, year out. Stamkos has said that Matthews probably would have gotten 60 earlier if not for, you know, last year 56 games. (laughs) The year before, the Leafs played 70 or whatever it was. And maybe he has a point there. But I will leave you with this, and then we we can get to some fan questions, Greg. The closest year that I saw, and again, I didn't go back a ton, but the league gave me the information in that morning skate that goals are up to the highest degree since 95, 96. But 1819 was a fairly 
productive year offensively league-wide. I mean, the Lightning won 62 and, and far and away led the league in goals scored. But that was the closest year where you look at, like, where was Team 31? Like, where, where were they relative to other years? And goal scoring was up. And power play percentages were up relative to other years, not quite at the level that it's at this year. But you remember who played for the Stanley Cup final that year, 2019? St. Louis and Boston, you know, where they finished defensively during the regular season. They were two of the top defensive teams. And the Blues, the Blues were behind the Bruins. I should look it up and and give you the exact total. But here's the thing with the Blues. They had a horrendous first half of the year. So their numbers in the second half of the year might have been the best in the league. I'm going to pull it up right now, Greg. So bear with me as I... I access it going to 1819 regular season because the playoffs are, are a different beast in that you have fewer games. So sometimes the numbers can be a little skewed. The Bruins were third in team defense that year and the blues were fifth. And I would venture to say that when you factor in the fact that the blues had a terrible first half that year in all areas, but especially defensively until Bennington came on the scene, their second half, they were probably right up there at the top of the list. Number one was the New York Islanders. And they they won around that year. They beat Pittsburgh. That was the year that the four division winners, not just the Lightning, but the four division winners went out in the first round. So, again, it's kind of hard to draw conclusions when you're looking at one year. You really need a larger sample size. But I guess I'm going to leave it with this, that in a year where – there were more goals scored relative to the years around that one year, 18-19. What teams got to the the yeah. final? Two teams that could defend. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. The Blues were a little higher than the Bruins in the playoffs. But again, if you have one game where you're giving up six, that's going to affect your, your average. And just because you lost that one game doesn't mean you're going to lose the series, right? So Correct. It's a good point. I, I, We're I going to find out this year. Yeah, we are. It's, I'm well. really, <laughs> I'm really intrigued. We're going to take a break, but I'm, I'm really intrigued by by what we're going to see come playoff time. If you want to react to anything we had to say there, we had a lot to get to. Uh, please do hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. We have a lot of questions we want to get to. Some from over the weekend, some from after our show on Friday, some trickling in today. We will do that when we return. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. Steve Versink is producing. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. You know, we got a lot to say. And when we get yeah. a lot to say, sometimes, partner, we could do a two-hour show. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, you might be right. Yes. We'll try yes. and get to as many questions as we can. Yeah, I want to get to uh, those because you guys have been great uh, tweeting at us. And sometimes if we don't get to them that day, that doesn't mean we don't read them. And typically... We like to make you guys a star, so we will read your answers or your questions on the air, just like Al. Al has become a local celebrity because of all of the pub he gets here on the show. He said, I don't think I've seen Cooch that engaged in all three zones like I did Saturday night. Is that the Paul effect? There was a snarl to his game. It's almost like the team decided it was time to get into the playoff mode. Now they need to D up in front of their net. More of an observation, but... yeah. Well, he's right about Ding up in front of the net because yeah. that was a problem in the Arizona game when they gave up three, and it was a problem on a couple of the goals that Winnipeg scored. Now, the Wheeler goal was a power play goal, and Brian Engblom got into this. Like, it is harder to to box out and close out guys when you're down a man, but you right. still got to try. The Stastny goal, they didn't they didn't take care of their net front on the opening shift. And honestly, Dave, I don't know if that's going to be the deciding factor in terms of who's going to play between Bogosian and Foot. Bogosian, I think, certainly brings more physical presence to the lineup, and I thought that was on display for whatever reason in the Winnipeg game. And I think when he does that, Bogosian is a very valuable piece to the Tampa Bay's back end. I don't know how that's going to play out. Perhaps we are making too big a deal, at least I am, who's going to be that that sixth defenseman for Tampa Bay because we have seen in the playoffs the top four guys are going to play a lot of minutes. But I don't think you want 
the other two defensemen to be liabilities either. You know, if they're going to play 12 minutes, you want them to be really good 12 minutes. And so I think we've always maintained foot is going to see some playoff time once it begins. But I am wondering because of the physical nature possibly of the playoffs this year and what it does present and possess that I would not be surprised if Bogosian is that guy to start the playoffs than Kyle Foot, but I could be wrong. And that certainly has happened before. Um, let's get to Bob. He said, Bolts decided to play on the third. Just shows they have the potential when they want. Moose made some good saves, but questionable on two, but we take the two points and run. Well, questionable on the one that Morrissey scored. I think that one yeah. was on him, that he made the save on a shot that was not really a scoring chance, but but couldn't freeze the rebound. The other three, I don't know, two tips and a breakaway. Yeah. That Kyle Connor is a hell of a player. I mean, he, he is. I mean, he blew by. Was it Sergachev? Yeah, and what a goal? finish, too. My I mean, from goodness. our angle, from our side, we couldn't see how much of an angle he had because it was on the far post, and he slid in a backhand, but it didn't look like he had much room to put that puck. He's a fantastic – I mean, Ehlers was dangerous, too, all night. Yeah. I mean, I, particularly in the first 30 minutes, Dave. But, you know, we talk about scoring and why it's up. It's not only players like Connor. It's it's the veterans who are having big, big years this year as well. So I, I find it's, – it's almost like anybody that has, has a, a decent amount of offensive ability, they're putting up some numbers. But that that Connor is just a, a fantastic player. And Ehlers always seems like he plays well against yeah. Tampa Bay. You know, this so is I a- think – Sorry, Greg. This no, is ahead. a career year for Connor, but he has always been a good goal scorer from the first year that he came into the league. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, this was from a couple of days ago, and Chris wanted to say, y'all have talked about how a team's reaction after getting punched in the mouth is huge. Last night, it, it felt like the Bolts got punched in the mouth going from up 2-0 to down 3-2 in the blink of an eye. How did you feel about their response then? Yeah, that was in the Anaheim game. Yes. Uh, well, I like their response. I did think it took them a little bit. Like, Coop made the goalie change, which was part of it. And it's not like the Lightning immediately barnstormed the Ducks after that. But they kind of slowly built their game back up. And they had more adversity, too. I mean, I don't know that this is being punched in the mouth, but you know, at the time they thought they had tied the game when Kalorn scored still in the second period, and that was taken away for the first of the two offside challenges that occurred in that game. So, yeah, I like their response. Basil says, and, and this was a couple of days ago in the Anaheim game as well, he said he wasn't crazy about Vassy being pulled, but I don't know his reaction. First, I don't like embarrassing a player, especially one with as much dedication to excellence. Second, I don't want to shake his confidence going to the playoffs or make him doubt the team's trust in him. He also wanted to thank us for spending so much time on Mike Bossy, who was an idol of his, and um, he said it was great to reminisce about those phenomenal Islanders teams as well. Yeah. I asked Phil about Bossy. He didn't really get into Bossy too much. I talked to him well, about Well, it was in-game, you know? yeah, yeah. so it was hard to do, but it was interesting. He said, because I, I said, look, you played in an era when goal scoring was up, and, and Bossy kind of came in his 10 years in the league were right in the wheelhouse of the league having you know tons of goals being scored but I said even with that like how remarkable is it that he scored 50 goals or more nine years in a row it's never been done before or since and he said well he was a great goal scorer but there's no doubt he was helped by playing on a good team which is a credit to how good the Islanders were and Phil's point was, you know, I was playing on a good team in Boston, and then I got traded right. to the Rangers. And he's like, I scored 42 in 78-79. It felt like I scored 100 or something like that. So Bossy, yes, benefited from the fact that he played on a really good team, but he also was really good at putting the puck in the net, no doubt. And then, you know, Phil would say, look, you know, when I went to the Rangers, it was a little bit different than playing <laughs> <laughs> with the Bruins. I, I think that's just common sense. You're going to play with better players. You're going to put up better numbers. You should not be penalized. I'm not saying Phil no. was. Saying I, that and Phil Bossy. wasn't implying No, he that. wasn't. He wasn't. It's just that that's, you know, I, I've heard people make the arguments, particularly players who aren't as dominant as the bossies or pick whoever you want to discuss in this conversation when it comes to Hall of Famers. Like, yeah. 
it, it's not your fault if you're a goaltender playing for a really great team. You're going to rack up the wins. I mean, the, the key is to make sure that your play doesn't dip to the point where you're underachieving as a player or as a team because you're struggling at the key moments at the key times. And, you know, Bossy obviously was just, I mean, the, right. again, the numbers he put up was just incredible. And by the way, uh, Basil's point about Vasilevsky, I think Vasil will be fine. Yeah, I don't think confident. We thought that Elliot was always getting the Winnipeg game, so they weren't going to pull that away from him just because he came in relief in the Anaheim game. Good point. And Vassy understands those goals were not on him in the Anaheim game. Yeah. Like, you worry about a player's confidence when his game dips. Vassy was not responsible for the three goals allowed. They were all tipped. Agreed. Ryan says, currently, the Toronto Maple Leafs are the second seed by record in the Eastern Conference, would play the Bolts as the fifth seed. Tampa could also conceivably end up as the third seed and still play Toronto. The NHL playoff format is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> the fifth seed? Is that what you said? That's what he said. Yeah, I don't really, I don't think of it in those terms. It's within the division, so two plays three no matter what, and he had that in there. I think, the he's, first place I think he's team. saying they shouldn't do it by the division. It should be where you're. Oh, okay. One through I eight. See. Yeah, one through eight, two through seven, right? Three and six. He's so saying, he's saying the Bolts could end up being the third seed. They could pass Carolina and the Rangers, have more points. I and, gotcha. And, and still have to play Toronto. And, and start on the road as the third. Yeah. You know, if you were the third best. Yeah. That's what here's he's uh, All right. Thanks for translating, Steve. Here's what I think about that. In every format, you're always going to have some weird kind of circumstances that sometimes happen but generally don't usually happen i mean in the old format where we had three divisions and the three division winners were ranked one two and three or seeded one two and three and then four through eight were just the next highest point teams in the conference you know theoretically you could have the sixth seed play the third seed with more points and four and five often had to play each other with more points than the third seed if it was a weak division. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So I think no matter what format you pick, unless you're just going straight points, one through eight, without any regard to divisions, you're always going to have some weird anomalies. I think the way that the teams look at it, and I know the Lightning look at it this way, like if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you're going to need to beat good teams. And, and we have said this, and you're going to need to beat a good team in the first round. And really, whether it's the first seed or the eighth seed, at least this year, they're all tough opponents. But I will maintain this, and I believe this. I've said it on the air. In some ways, the hardest series the Lightning had last year was their first-round series against Florida. And I think that getting through that series helped the Lightning. That was as hard a first-round series, trying to remember the other first-round series, and there were upsets last year. I mean, Edmonton was upset, right? Toronto was upset. Right. I mean, there were some upsets last year, but I don't know if there was a tougher first-round series than the one the Lightning had against the Panthers, and it got their game championship-ready. It forced them to hit that championship playoff Absolutely. mode. Because they didn't have, in this one area, they didn't have the same kind of issues with dealing with the opposition's attack in the subsequent series that they had in that Florida series. You might say, well, the Islanders in Montreal weren't really geared to apply that much pressure or built to apply that much pressure, but they scored – Islanders scored against the Bruins to get to that series against the Lightning. Montreal scored against the, the teams that they saw earlier in the playoffs. And Carolina was a really good offensive team during the regular season. And outside of that one game where they scored four at Amelie and lost 6-4, the Lightning basically suffocated them. Yeah. Would they have been able to do that if they hadn't faced the Panthers in the first round? I think that's a fair question. And I, I kind of feel they needed that Panther series in a way. 
So if you were to just look at the points and say, well, garbage is the term the fan used. It's garbage last year that the Lightning had to see the Panthers in the first round, and maybe the Panthers feel that way. But seeing the Panthers in the first round and winning the series, which is the important second part to this, I think really helped the Lightning. It sharpened their knives, so to speak. Yeah, they they were battle-tested. Battle-tested. And, you know, honestly, if it it plays out the way it is right now, Toronto may present a similar challenge in terms of how they want to play up and down. They don't have quite as much depth as the Panthers, and I don't think they're considered a favorite to get to the Stanley Cup final like the Florida Panthers in many ways. But Toronto has some guys who can fill the net Mm -hmm. and make you a little uncomfortable, which means, you know what? You've got to be ready to defend from the start because Austin Matthews getting 60 goals this year, that catches your attention pretty quickly. So good point. And maybe the question is not, I mean, it is how well are you defending, but how well are you defending relative to your opponent too? Yeah, for sure. Good point by you. Good point. You might give up four. Yeah. You know, to a team like that. But that doesn't mean you haven't defended well. That just might be the other team is that talented and you're doing a pretty good job to maybe limit them to five or six, as we talked about at the beginning of the show. What is the scoring going to look like in the playoffs? And we will find out in a couple of weeks. Partner, we will do it again tomorrow. We're going to yep. get set for Lightning and Red Wings, but we'll be there noon to one. From Emily. At least From I'll Amelie. be at Emily. You will. From Emily. And, uh, and we'll Steve be will it too. All, down. all right, partner. Great job, as always. Yep. And uh, thanks Good to show. Steve. Yeah, thanks to Steve for getting us on the air as always. And uh, thanks to you for listening. Keep those questions coming at Bolts Radio. I'm Greg Linnelli. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.